0: Hey, and welcome to the Sea Creatures Podcast, a show all about the amazing animals that live beneath the waves. Each episode, we chat about a specific sea creature with a guest who has spent time and interacted with this ocean animal. Our guests range from marine biologists, to divers, to underwater photographers, citizen scientists, and people that have an intense passion for marine life. My name is Matt Testoni, and I'm all of the above. And joining me for this episode of Sea Creatures Podcast is Cade Mills. He's a marine biologist with the VMPA, and today we're going to be talking about sea dragons. Welcome to the show, Cade.
1: Thanks, Matt. We should should we timestamp this and say that it's into stage four lockdown in Melbourne and neither of us has been in salt water for a couple of weeks? And <laughs> This is our way of getting a fix, yeah, reliving the glory it. days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> talking about the sea creatures rather than seeing them.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's always nice to reminisce. It's, it's almost as good as being there.
0: <laughs> so, sea dragons, you are the sea dragon, man. When I think of sea dragons, I'm like, yep. Yeah. Kate is the man. So why have you got such a passion for sea dragons and why have they become your kind of animal?
1: I'll start off first by saying I think there's a lot of sea dragon people out there. And when I think of it, I think of a few other people such as Pang Kwong, David Booth, and there's a few others around that have done probably a lot more work and understand them a lot better than I do. But as you said, this is about, I guess, sort of the passion project and the things that you're into. And I grew up in Victoria. I learned to dive in Victoria. I never saw a weedy sea dragon in Victoria. And then I moved to New South Wales to, I guess, start my career as a marine scientist. And while I was in New South Wales, I lived in Cronulla. And one of the areas that's renowned for weedy sea dragons is the place where Captain Cook landed just inside the heads of Botany Bay, a place called Inscription Point. And it's renowned for weedy sea dragons. So I live very close to that. So when I got there, I thought I'd go for a dive and try and see these things. And I think like most people, it's the word dragon that gets you. You expect to see something that is, I don't know, follows on along the Hollywood mythology type. This big thing's going to be underwater and it's going to have all these amazing appendages and it's going to look kind of scary. And then the first time someone pointed one out to me, I'd already swum past five and they finally stopped me and pointed one out. And it was, I think I was a bit underwhelmed to begin with, to be honest. I had the, the idea of a dragon. I'd seen photos, but they were a lot smaller than I expected. But then it's that thing where you take, take your time and you look at them. The best thing about them is that they don't swim very fast. So you do have plenty of time to sit and enjoy them. They're one of those creatures, like everyone kind of dives for a different reason, you know, some for whether it's an adrenaline, it's a deep dive, it's a, to get the perfect photo, it's to see a particular species. I find the thing about the weedy sea dragon that I love so much is they're quite centering, they're very calm, they tend to be pretty relaxed, they're not moving at a fast pace and it kind of forces you to do the same with your dive. It sort of slows you down, it gives you time to observe and, and watch them. So since I saw my first one in... Sydney there I continue to dive there as often as I can to see them like I was beginning a career as a marine scientist and it's one of those things where you come out of a degree and you think you know so much because you know you're a marine scientist now and once you jump in and start sort of interacting and look I know scientists that don't even dive which amazes me because it's like well how can you really understand what it is that you're looking at without being in the water and being surrounded by these things but there's a lot of different ways to learn and it was that I think the moment when I was diving with them is I realized how little I know and how I've only really just embarked upon the start of my career and everything I thought I knew up till then was just a small amount. So I've begun I've sort of gone from there. I lived in Sydney for quite a few years. I dived with them. I ended up becoming an instructor for a while. And the highlight was always taking people to a dive site where they could see a weedy sea dragon. Although people really wanted to see seahorses for some reason, they are meant to be cuter. Um, maybe there's just more Hollywood moments with seahorses. I don't know what it is, but I find the dragons much more interesting, but I guess that's where it started. And then it's evolved to the current work that I'm doing now in Victoria.
0: And so if people don't know what a sea dragon is, can you like, how would you describe a sea dragon?
1: Well, it's not all those things that I thought it was going to be. So it is not, it is not big. It is probably a bit bigger than the length of a ruler is a good way to describe it, uh, they look like a bit of kelp or a bit of weed that is just drifting around on the bottom. And they do a really good job of mimicking kelp in its environment. They will often they move with the flow. I think it's it from the karate kid when they say like flow like water. That is how they move if the, the tide if the surge is pushing. Against the kelp, the weedies will move in synchronisation with the kelp and move back and forth. They sort of have this really graceful movement where they, they go with the flow, which is partly because their swimming appendages are so small they can't really swim that strongly. But they do. They just look like a bit of kelp with a whole lot of fins hanging off them. And they're, they're mostly snout. They're, they're a big snout and a big belly. Uh, using a highly scientific term, they're not squishy. So most fish have a bit of flesh to them that's the bit that that people go and catch them for is to eat the eat the flesh whereas Weedy sea dragon just seems to be all skin and bone and skeleton and snout so they're they're very odd and i'm sure if people are listening to this now they've either seen one before or they've already jumped on online to see what they look like and that'll probably give you a better idea but they are one of the strangest looking creatures in the sea that's for sure
0: yeah they they i mean everyone kind of knows what a seahorse looks like and I always kind of think of them as a the sea horse that instead of floating upright has kind of weirdly turned into like a bit of a, you know, four-legged by, you know, animal kind of situation and it kind of then floats. And so I think that, you know, you spoke earlier about the dragon part was underwhelming and it is underwhelming until you think of, I always try to think of the little crustaceans that they eat um, as people and imagining a dragon floating above. <laughs> and then you're like, wow, these tiny little bugs, you know, kind of going about their life in the forest that is the kelp and this dragon huge sea dragon swims over and as you just said it's all snout and so it kind of you know puts its head down and just sniffs them all up in a way
1: so thanks uh, matt you've now changed diving with weedy sea dragons for me forever i'm never (laughs) going to look at it and say when you see those swarms of mice and shrimp which is what they are they're similar to brine shrimp or sea monkeys or whatever people want to call them. And that's what they mainly feed on. But you see clouds of like thousands of those things. And yeah, dragons just hovering around, picking off the people one by one. That's a great image. It's like, Jeez, a,
0: like a medieval town, you know, everyone's running for the hills, all these mice, <laughs> and the sea dragon swoops in and you know, yeah, it yeah. comes out of the kelp magically into the pack of uh, mice and shrimp and off it goes.
1: Well, it also has that thing where once it gets past its sort of juvenile phase, there's not much that eat it. As I said, it's all skin and bones, so there's they're not really a prey item for many things. So they do almost have that invincibility of dragons. No wonder, the mythology and the name just suits it. The more we talk, the more we'll get into this.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, I've always thought too that they do, because the way they hover, they do look like a bit of a dragon. And I feel like it's strange that, people kind of came up with this idea of this winged monster that flies overhead before they would have seen a weedy sea dragon.
1: Yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that. And I have a feeling like the times that they'd probably come across them would have been just washed up on the beach because it's not something that, you know, I guess, early, early people would have been in the water to see given sort of the habitats they live in. And then there was one of those things in the lead up to this podcast, I thought I'd do a bit of research on a few things just to make sure I didn't sound too silly. But one of the cool things that I came off, across is so William Gould was a early um, painter in Australia. So there's the book, Gould's Book of Fishes out there. And so what I didn't realize, he came to Australia in 1827 and he was actually a convict. So he came across because as probably all good painters at the time did, he was forging banknotes. And <laughs> while he was here, he started drawing a lot of the marine life. He was fascinated with the marine life that was around. And so one of the things that he drew was a weedy sea dragon. And it's one of the, I guess, the earlier illustrations that we have to sort of know that where they were and where they were found in the early days. So there you go. There's my little bit of um, random trivia for you.
0: (laughs) It's uh, still a bit of an iconic image to this day. I still like, you still see it floating around when you have a look at weedy sea dragon photos, weedy sea dragon art. and A lot of them are almost copies of Gould's original, which is cool.
1: Well, And the thing is too, I think they um, took some uh, artistic license with some of the appendages in adding a few here and there, and even with uh, the Victorian state emblem, so the Weedy Sea Dragon, also known as the Common Sea Dragon, which is nowhere near as cool a name, so we won't be using that one anymore. It is the state emblem, so we have like a floral emblem and a faunal, terrestrial faunal emblem, and we have a marine emblem, and the weedy sea dragon is it. And they, the drawing that is used for the um, on the state government site is actually anatomically incorrect. So I have a feeling they might have just ripped off Gould and copied his mistakes as well.
0: <laughs> so we discussed like it's uh, the marine emblem. And that's because, I mean, a huge concentration of them are found in Melbourne and Victoria, and they're only found off the southern coast in kind of the Great Southern Reef of Australia, which is fascinating. And tell, tell us what kind of habitat you look for where you dragons in.
1: Good question, Matt. And it is actually something I'm uh, planning on working with a bit more from with a scientist from Parks Victoria, because she asked the same question in that they're generally considered to be associated with kelp forests. So again, the work. Uh, The diving in New South Wales. I found them with kelp. I haven't dived with them in Western Australia, but the photos I've seen have generally been kelp as well on sort of that southwestern coast. But interestingly here, places like Flinders Pier, there is not much kelp in Western Port Bay. And in the areas where you find the weedy sea dragons, it's more a seagrass. It's called like an amphibolous seagrass. And that is where you'll find them, but it's also where you'll find their food. Portsea has a mixture. So it does have a bit of kelp because there's a bit of reef there, but it also has quite large beds of amphibolas too. So one of the things we plan on doing is looking through a lot of the images that have been submitted by various divers and looking at the substrate that is behind them to get an idea of where they're generally occurring. It tends to be kelp. If you're in New South Wales, look around the kelp habitats. They tend to be on the reef edge, so they won't be in amongst the reef. They tend to live more on that uh, interface between the sand and the reef. And it's sort of similar here even with the seagrass beds in that they're basically, like most things, they're where the food is. And that is where you'll find those swarms of shrimp. If you find the swarms of shrimp, look look closely and you'll find a seahorse, you might find pipefish, you'll see something in there that's feeding on them. So they tend to live where the food is and that is where you have the greater concentrations of food.
0: And you just mentioned um, like all the photos and like looking through photos and that brings me to one of my favorite things about sea dragons is your project called dragon quest where you get to take a photo of a sea dragon and find out its name or name it so talk us through like dragon quest what it is and some of the cool like names and some of
1: the cool finds you've had so it started with an article that i saw on abc online and it was basically some researchers in New South Wales from UTS, David Booth and Sal McClanteen and a research group a research group called Underwater Research Group, strangely enough, based in Sydney who were using the patterns on the side of weedy sea dragons like you would use a fingerprint. Each side of the weedy sea dragon is different. So if you have a look at your thumbs, you will see that your right and your left fingerprints are quite similar, but they are different. So they will use the images Taken of both sides of the weedy sea dragon, and then what they do is they map the spots. So, this has been used with manta rays, it's been used with whale sharks, and now it's just been shrunk down to be used with weedy sea dragons. And they map the spots, it gets entered into the software. And then what happens is the next time that you take an image, you map the spots, and the software will automatically do a comparison to see if there is something that has a similar arrangement of spots. And then what it'll do is spit out and say, Check out this image. 10% likelihood that it's the same thing. And you work your way through and you either find it again and you're like, whoo, I've got a match. Or you go, oh, I've got a new one that I need to add to the database. And so what I've been doing in Victoria is using some of the work that they had already done. So they'd been down to Victoria and taken photos at Flinders and Portsea and entered Dragons into the database. So building on top of their work. I've been using photos that I've taken myself, but the best part, the coolest part has been, I've been using a lot of photos that have been sent in by people such as yourself, who are really good photographers, which make my work so much easier because the shots are always so crisp and really high resolution, but also just, I've had a lot of snorkelers send in shots of ones that they've seen and various divers and people of all sorts of skill levels sending in their shots. And a lot of the time I've been able to work out whether it's a new weedy Sea Dragon or it's a repeat offender. And what I'm starting to discover is that particularly places like Flinders, a lot of people go there, but there's a couple of weedy Sea Dragons that are just there all the time. They've just been spotted so many times that I've got to know, I don't even need to put them into the software to know that that is Alice and I have seen Alice so many times and Alice is named after one of the first people that helped Bruce, Bruce Alice who's involved in the scouts in Victoria and he does underwater scouts which is a really cool thing to do basically getting kids into the water a really early age and he's been taking photos since the project began and so Alice has been spotted I think we're getting close to 20 times over the last couple of years so what that tells me is that Alice has Pretty much hanging around the pier sort of the whole time. So, we're starting to learn a lot of stuff about their residency, their movement, but best of all, we will be able to use it to get an estimate of the population in these sizes, uh, in these areas, given that we will have these repeat sightings and we will have these events where people are going out and sampling at different times. So, from that, you're able to get an estimate of the size of the population, which is pretty cool just from photos. And so, it means that you don't have to disturb the animal in any way. A lot of the times uh, people will do tagging, which is to put a physical object on so they know what it is. But with this, you can just take a photo. So it's some really cool work that's been going on for a couple of years now. and am building a really good database of images. And I'm starting to see a lot of the same old dragons. And given I'm the one who's doing a lot of the processing, I'm really getting to know them quite well. It's starting to scare me a little bit with images coming through. I'm going, I know that one. And sometimes I'll have the name coming off the top of my head. Other times it will just be a quick search through and away we go.
0: You've just got to uh, wait for the day where you're diving and you don't need to k- take the camera. You'll just be swimming along. Back. Oh, I know that's Alice. Recognize her. <laughs>
1: I have done that a few times. There is one, one of my favourite is a weedy called Scoresby, who's named after a guy called Scoresby Shepherd, who's an awesome marine scientist out of South Australia. I have a feeling he's in his 80s now. Uh, they've done a lot of that sort of groundbreaking, really early ecology work. And it has a split fin, so one of the dorsal fins on its back looks like a butterfly. It's got this sort of split in this beautiful butterfly. So, yeah, I see Scoresby and I'll take a photo from a distance. I don't even bother getting close because I know that's who it is. So yeah, it's starting to happen already. And I've had a few people comment that they're paying attention a bit more. And so when they are going out, they're like, "Ah, oh, I saw Alice today. It was hanging out there. So that, that is starting to care, And I, I love that. It's like part of diving is that you know, we get to visit these sites quite frequently, and you know, especially with some of the smooth rays know there's stumpy and there's the albino smooth ray that comes in and people sort of form this connection with them and it's great to be able to again do that with something like a weedy sea dragon it's great
0: yeah and especially if a diver can get their name or it's almost like adopt a sea dragon which i think is just yeah really cool they've got their names their little community and they're harassing the mice and shrimp
1: (laughs) there are a few maddie T. there's a maddie t i think there's a maddie there might be a testoni in there so you've got a few named after yourself matt so if Uh, people are listening and they have photos of Weedy sea dragons please get hold of me and send them in
0: yeah definitely and you may have your name your name on one or not on one but be named after one which is cool
1: yeah that's it and People get excited when they get one named after, them, but I think they get just excited to know that it's been seen previously and to get a bit of a story about it as well. So every time anyone sends one in that's been re-seen, I will either put up on Facebook or send them an email personally to say, look, you just saw Heidi and Heidi's been seen 10 times in the last five years generally. And what I'm starting to notice by doing that, it's actually quite good for myself in that there are some individuals that, are only being sighted at certain times of the year so in the warmer months for example we might see a few more males that are only ever spotted in that time and then in the colder months they're just not seen or there might be some females that are starting to be seen in June, July, August they're sort of seen around them but they're not sighted again so whether it's they're not there or people just aren't taking the photo it's really hard to know that but it by people sending in their images and me taking the time to go through, I'm actually starting to learn a lot about himself. So it's, it's great for the people sending in the images and it's great for me.
0: What's the craziest thing or the best thing you've seen or you've seen in an image of a weedy sea dragon? Or what really sticks in your memory?
1: My favourite is seeing a weedy sea dragon. The, my, the image I have of a weedy sea dragon doing a poo. It was, <laughs> <laughs> it was caught by Chris O'Keefe from the Underwater Research Group in New South Wales. There's a picture of me in the background. So she's taken the photo. I'm in the background. I didn't realize at the time, but it's that thing where I was mapping the spots. And I'm like, what? That's just like, you know, when the goldfish have a poo in the tank. That's exactly what it looked like. And the only time I've ever seen it. So that's a highlight just because I'm childish. But there's, there's a few other ones that I find quite interesting. There's a few with some isopod parasites on them, which I've noticed a couple of times. And a few times I've seen clingfish as well on the fins so you get the photos through and there's these little clingfish on the dorsal fins mainly. I've also seen double appendages so you have two fins at the top um, they're called your dorsal fins and you have the fins sort of coming out of the belly and the which are called the ventral fins. I've seen on one particular dragon a couple of images have come up and they've had two where there should be one so they're sort of coming out of these the sides in doubles which is quite cool. And the other is the stumpy dragons I've seen. So I've seen dragons with almost all their tail missing, but being sighted multiple times. So it's that thing where you're like, oh, well, they've all been females too, which has been quite interesting. But you think, well, how are they going to get around without a tail? And they get around just fine. So there's been some great stuff like that. And even I've seen some that have had wounds. So they've had, whether it looks like a fish is, bitten them or I've seen footage of seals playing with weedy sea dragons before and you can see clearly that that's pierced the skin and there's kind of a wound and it's chunk of flesh has been taken out of it or skeleton's been taken out of it and then a couple of months later it's all healed up and they've just got this slight deformity on their body which also you see on fish as well so it's been cool to see a lot of stuff like that but the poo's still the highlight that's definitely
0: <laughs> highlight. There. yeah and I just have to, I mean, I've spoken to you before about my highlight, but my highlight is definitely the dad dates where there's like four or even like two groups of four males all hanging out together. And I guess the coolest part about it is we know they're males because we haven't touched on this yet, but weedy sea dragons. The female actually lays her eggs on the male, which is crazy. And so, and he carries these, and they're, they're bright purple. And he carries them around, which, and then they form these dad dates, which is
1: crazy. Yeah, it's, we hadn't touched on that. And I guess that's something that everyone knows about seahorses is that the dads are the ones that carry them around, whereas with the seahorses, they carry them sort of in their belly, in their abdomen, where, as you said, like the witty sea dragons, they have them sort of out on their tail, um yeah bright bright pink and sort of purple colors amazing and i know i've seen quite a few images and you've taken some amazing ones of like the little eyes of the embryos developing inside the egg on the tail so to be able to see these things externally is is absolutely amazing and the daddy dates is something i've seen a few times as well it's like uh, what are they the the classes that parents have before they
0: oh the 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 birthing classes
1: yeah, it, 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 it's sort of like that instead of a mother's group, it is that sort of daddy's group. They're all getting together and discussing how they're going to rear their kids and what's going on. And I've seen up to eight males wow. in one location. And it's it's been at Portsea Pier where I've noticed, and if you dive the pier regularly or you've ever been to Portsea Pier, just as the L starts to turn, so if you head out from the shore under the pier and then as you start to turn to the right, there's a section there that just seems to dip a little bit lower, that, the sand scoured out and that is where I've seen it yeah, up to eight sitting in the one spot. And I tried to capture it, but I, underwater photography is not my forte. I, I try and I try and I try, but um, I didn't quite capture that moment.
0: Uh, as long as you got the spots. Did you get the spots?
1: I got the spots. I got the <laughs> spots of all of them. Yeah, that's. It it changes the way you dive. It's been something that's been great for me because... I've had a lot of people say, oh, there's heaps of them, or there's none. Like it really varies. Like depending on who you talk to, they will tell you completely different stories and you'll be about the same site. I mean, that's just natural variability when it comes to sites. Like I've heard quite a few people say, Frankston Pier is the worst pier dive in the world. I'd never dive there. Yet I've been there and seen seahorses, pipefish, massive schools of brim and Australian salmon coming through and garfish and juvenile snapper. And I had some amazing dives. And I've also had some really terrible dives there too. So it's that sort of variability. And I've been surprised every time I've dived, particularly at Portsea, the least I've ever been able to find is about 10 or 12 and sometimes up to about 20 sort of in and around that area. So it's that thing where if you're looking for them, you will find them. Um, and I think people dive with different things in mind. So I think if they're looking for weedies, they will tend to see more. If they're not, then they may not see any.
0: Yeah. And do you have any cool facts about weedy seeder I have one kind of cool fact, but do you have any cool facts?
1: Oh, oh, no, you kick off. What have you got for me, Matt? I just
0: love their neck muscles. So we spoke about before how they kind of pick off these little shrimp and they have a snout. And they do that by kind of sucking up the shrimp but it's because they've got these humongous comparative to their size neck muscles that just hold all this power and give them real crazy accuracy. And it's just reminds me of like a wrestler, you know, one of those classic wrestlers with a huge neck. And so that, that's my kind of like highlight of, that most people don't know
1: about. I, I wonder if just like the the rugby in New South Wales and the AFL in a in Victoria, whether they have thicker necks in New South Wales than they do in Victoria. (laughs) Is is that all right for me to say that? Uh, (laughs) Am I going to get in trouble? (laughs) (laughs) I think the thing I quite like about them is that they have a courtship. So a lot of marine animals, here's, here's just a random one for you, not related to EDC dragon, but snapper. So that, everyone knows and loves and catching Port Phillip Bay have been known to form almost like big gyres so they get together in a huge school and they'll swim round and round and round in circles and what the males and the females will do is they'll release their eggs and sperms into that and it's kind of like a centrifuge so it brings it all together there's been photos of that there's even been there's been photos in South Australia but there have been images of it happening in Port Phillip Bay and so it's not very personal it's not you know they don't get to know each other there's no you know, dating period in the lead-up. It's basically, as an animal, we are here to reproduce. This is how we do it, and a lot of marine creatures do it. Like, we'll reproduce that way. It's you know, there's generally no contacts, eggs and larvae in the water column. These chance events happen. Whereas with the the sea dragons, they they can spend a couple of weeks. Um, I have a feeling Peng Khuang has said, yeah, it can be like two to four weeks. They can actually spend whether it's getting to know each other or you know checking out whether. The female's probably checking out whether the male's fit to be a dad. And they will they will dance. They have, well, we like to give human terms or human sort of actions to things. So they will have a courtship sort of dance. And so they will swim around each other. And as far as I know, there's only ever been one person that's been able to catch on video, the female releasing the eggs to the male. And Pang has been amazing. He's actually, it's just sitting up on YouTube. I'm sure you'll probably throw a, a link in the notes for this to go and see that. And it's the, the female and the male sort of almost sort of entwining, but semi kind of upside down and horizontal to each other. And the female, the eggs drop out of the body cavity and attach to the male's tail. And then he does a little dance, which is most likely fertilising the eggs. And that's it. That's the only footage I think we have in the world of this occurring. And it was filmed in, at Flinders and it was taken by a local diver. So that's their, their courtship, that's... maybe it's the romantic in me, Matt, that enjoys that part of of their life cycle. But it makes them a bit more relatable, I think. That and the the male's tail, what it can do to accept these eggs. So the tails, as I said, they're mostly sort of skeleton. They don't have much flesh. But the tail, and you can see it probably starting in the next month or two, they start to become all like spongy and squishy. They sort of become, I think the, the correct word is turgid so it's like they fill up with water and they become like a sponge they sort of have that ability and so when the eggs are laid basically they suction onto the eggs in a way and so they're able to carry them around because when you think about it like it's it's a pretty precarious place to attach these eggs like they're just sitting on the outside of the body so you need some strength or you need a strong bind between the eggs and the male's body so to be able to carry these eggs around and there's it's not just a handful of eggs, too. It can be you know, 250, 300 eggs that they're carrying around on their tail. So the, the fact that its tail can ad- adapt to do that, I think, is phenomenal.
0: Yeah, and, and if you haven't seen a photo of a weedy sea dragon carrying the eggs, it is definitely something to check out because it is amazing. Even I find even when the eggs aren't there, as you said, the spongy, turgid tail, it's, it's really crazy that they can lay all these hundreds of purple balls and they just stick there, and I've, I've never seen one fall off. You know, I've seen divers get a little bit too close, you know, you know, inadvertently, and a sea dragon, you know, kind of swims away quite harsh, or gives a bit of a flick of a tail to get away. And there's never been a problem, so it, it's amazing.
1: But I have a feeling in the footage that uh, Pang has got there is a couple that do when they first attach that do fall off as a couple then, and that, uh, similar to you, I've never seen it. Then the other thing I have seen is fish. Trying to get a nibble on, I guess, what looks like caviar to them. There's these bright, beautiful little bits of energy just sitting there. If they could just pick them off the tail of the weedy sea dragon, that'd be tasty. So I've seen that before. I haven't seen them be successful. The weedies can move quite quickly if they need to. But yeah, they, they do a good job of holding them there.
0: Yeah, I, I always just think of them as brightly coloured protein balls. If you're a fish and you see this big purple, you know, egg, you, of course, I'm always surprised that no one cottons onto it. I actually, there's actually a seaweed um, kind of algae at Portsea Pier, where you've seen a lot of them, that looks remarkably like the weedy sea dragon eggs. And I've always wondered if that's why they, are, the eggs are that colour.
1: I had never thought that but that is quite possible. It's using the the coloration of something that's nasty to go, Oh, you don't want to eat me because you're just going to feel sick. So I thought I'll have to look into that one, Matt. As as per usual, whenever I talk about this, I usually end up with more questions than I do answers, which is, I guess, the beauty of doing science. And the best part about doing this project is people sending images and it's just like, I've never seen that before. Where do I start now? (laughs) Well...
0: That kind of brings us to the end of our Sea Dragon episode. Thank you, Kate, very much for joining us. And if anyone wants to know more about Sea Dragons or Dragon Quest or the VNPA, uh, where should they go? What should they do?
1: Uh, first place to start, I guess, is to jump onto the Victorian National Parks Association webpage, uh, follow the links through to Reefwatch. We have a newsletter that we only ever put out if we actually have something worth talking to you about so we won't spam you with information we also have a facebook watch face watch we also have a facebook page which is reef watch victorian national parks association and the dragon quest project there is also a page that was set up for me by somebody else just because they really like the project has its own private page which is weedy sea dragons melbourne so if you search that on facebook there's over 400 people now. And I'm starting to get a lot of images come through from that. And it's just a really great space for people to share their thoughts, their findings, the images that they're seeing of Weedy Sea Dragons. And I think in the lead up now, once we can get back out, so we've got another three or four weeks of um, lockdown to contend with. Once we can start getting back out there, I think we'll find a few Weedy Sea Dragons photos starting to come in from that. Or you can always get in touch with me at my email, which is just k-a-d-e-at-v-m-p-a-dot-org-dot-a-u. Thanks for the opportunity to chat to you about it, Matt. I could have kept on going for another hour or two. <laughs>
0: Thank you very much for coming. Just podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by myself, Matt Testoni. You can see more of my photography on Instagram, Matt underscore Testoni underscore photography, and my webpage, mtunderwatermedia.com. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and visit our Patreon account patreon.com slash podcast to help support the show production assistance by george mcgrath and music by dan Musil and his mind blowingly good slide guitar tune in next time to hear all about rays with renowned author nigel marsh this has been the Creatures podcast over and out